Amen, amen, amen. Well, good morning. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Yes, amen and amen. Well, yeah, we just want to welcome you. My name is Ray. I'm one of the pastors here at Living Way Community Church. And for some of you, this may be your first time even being in a church. For others of you, this is, uh, it's been maybe a long time since you've been in a church. And whatever way you find yourself, whether you're one of our members all the way to those just visiting, we just want to say welcome. And our desire today is that you would be able to, hopefully, if you're just coming maybe for the first time or having come to church in a long time, that this today would be a beginning of a lifelong journey into an eternal walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. See, history has proven that he is indeed God, Savior, and King of the universe. And Easter, as we celebrate this day, we experience a profound wonder of his love. As his love came into full bloom on Easter Sunday, where he came and he resurrected from the grave. And he came and he brought so much as he conquered the power of sin, death, to bring rescue and restoration for those who truly believe. But you see, this morning would be a waste of time if Jesus didn't really rise. Our time here would be ultimately and seriously meaningless. So let me quickly share with you why we believe that the resurrection of Jesus is indeed a historical reality. If you're here and you're a skeptic and you're questioning or just wondering if this is just some fanciful, religious, mysterious fairy tale, the first thing that I want to encourage you with is that Jesus was dead. Virtually every scholar on planet Earth concedes that Jesus was dead after the resurrection. The Journal of the American Medical Association published a peer scientific medical study of the evidence of the death of Jesus. And they said, quote, clearly the weight of the evidence indicates that Jesus was dead even before the wound was inflicted. Secondarily, early accounts of the resurrection of Jesus. There's a creed that is an eyewitness report of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This creed is dated back within months of the death of Jesus. Months. That is historical gold. Because you have to realize something. Those types of creeds within that period of time, they do not exist in ancient documents. But yet they do of the resurrection. The third reason why we're here and we're celebrating is because not only was he dead, not only were there accounts of the resurrection, the tomb was empty. And the Bible, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Bible's not one book, it's actually 66 books. And four of the books all attest to the fact that the tomb was empty. The Roman government declared that it was empty. Those that did not want Jesus to be risen said that it was empty. They just had to come up with a story that made sense. And so they had to actually say that the disciples stole the body. But psychologically, it doesn't make sense because the disciples then would have died for something they knew was a lie. Because see, every single one of the apostles, almost every single one minus John, were tortured for their faith. It's reported that Peter was even crucified upside down. No one would go, if you knew what a Roman crucifixion was, there's no way that you would get on that cross knowing that you're about to die for something that was a lie. And then lastly, for most of what we know about ancient history, and we study ancient history. You studied it in school, have you not? You've opened up the books and you learn about all these ancient things that happened from the Mesopotamians and the ziggurats and all that. You guys remember that stuff in school? Reminds me back to my teaching days. Well, really, all of those documents that we have, there comes maybe one or two sources that we actually have in existence that helps us legitimize ancient history. And that's where you get your history books from. Well, guess how many sources we have from the resurrection? There are over fewer than nine ancient sources inside and outside of the New Testament confirming the conviction that disciples encountered the risen Christ. I'm here to tell you he's risen. 
there is no doubt historically that he is risen. And that's why we're here on this day. This is why we celebrate. Because the question I have for us this morning is why should you care? Why should you and I care about the resurrection? And there are many reasons why we should care. But I only want to highlight one that I believe you should make central in your understanding of the resurrection. And it really comes down to one word. And that word is power. Everybody say power. We find ourselves again in the book of Ephesians chapter 1. And it is a letter written by Paul. Again, for those of you who may not be familiar with the Bible, the Bible, again, is 66 books. And then one of the genres are called epistles or letters. So we're going to look at a letter that actually one of the apostles of Jesus, Paul, wrote to the church, an early new church here. And I want to introduce you to the audience of the book of Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 1, who he's writing to. These people that he was writing to were in search of power. They needed protection, protection from disease, protection from the violence of war, that they wanted to experience fertile wombs. And so in order to get the power for those things, a lot of people in Ephesus, they looked to the goddess called Cybele. You see, the people that he's writing to, they needed power. They needed power for healing when they got ill. So they looked to the power of the goddess Isis. When they needed escape, they dealt with their problems of fear and the need to try to just get away from all of the problems of life. They relied on the power of the god called Dionysius. He was actually the god of intoxication. He gave you a nice good bottle of wine. And if you wanted to wash your woes away, you just grabbed that wine and got your little dance and boogie on and forgot all of your problems. And of course... There was Artemis, and she had the power for provision and protection. Now, before we think that we're so far removed from the people here in this book, we look to the same things, do we not? Maybe it's not in Artemis or Isis, or, or maybe it's not in Cybele or Dionysius, but, but we have our own gods and goddesses that we look to to give us power. You see, we look to the power of Dr. So-and-so. We all got a Dr. So-and-so, do we not? I know I have my share. We look to the pharmaceutical industry. We look to the almighty dollar. We look to the power of the government. We look to the power of social media influencers. We look to our therapists. We look to meth and weed and liquor. Because we see in these things, just like they did in that context, power. Power to deal with the most fundamental issues and needs that we have that run on a day-to-day -day basis. Because like them, we need it. We need healing. I'm sure there are some of you right now that could experience some healing. Right now, there are people right now under the sound of my voice that need to experience provision. Right now, there's a place probably in your life where you're feeling insecure and you want security. Right now, where you're sitting, you're probably asking yourself, God, I need something to deal with the worries and anxieties of my heart. What do you need right now? I want to ask you this morning. Do you need healing? Do you need financial stability? Do you need escape? And then I want to ask you this question. What power are you depending on to deal with those things that you need? I want you to identify them, and I like to do this when I preach. I want you to think about the areas right now in your life where you need some measure of power so you can experience some level of contentment that you need in your life. The British poet, W.E.E. Henley, learned this need for power best. When he was a boy, he had his leg amputated as a teenager. Yet he went on to be a very influential individual. He was a critic and an author. And in view of his power to overcome such harrowing obstacles as, as, as someone who actually had their leg amputated, he was able to have the power to overcome that and become successful. He came up with this famous Invictus. 
and you're probably familiar with it. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishment the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. You see, he was, he was relishing in his power. And this is something that many of us maybe even have heard, if not much of the culture has adopted. I am the captain of my soul. Well, Henley later realized how untrue this statement was that he wrote. As he was forced to face his own powerlessness when his five-year-old daughter died. You see, he clearly was not the master of his fate. He clearly was not the captain of his soul. Because if he were, then he would have used that ability to make sure that his baby girl did not touch the grave. You see, if he had the power, he would have prevented it. But the reality is, with all the power that he had, it still wasn't enough. You see, everyone and everything around us in this world is singing. You guys remember that song back in the day? I got the power. Uh, you guys remember that? Or am I just dating myself? How many, how many, how many remember that? I got the power. Okay, all right, all right, all right, Doug, all right, all right. Well, like Henley, with all the different things around us that are saying, I've got the power, when you get up close enough to them, when you spend enough time with them, I bet you could tell me, unless I'm just weird, that even with all the power that you're looking to in those things, it's just not enough. You see, I know personally, Henley's pain, not the pain of the death of a child, but someone close to me, very close to my heart, ravished by drug addiction. And we tried everything. We tried everything that we could to come alongside this person that's so close to my heart. And if I had power, I would have brought release and freedom. But I didn't have the power. I didn't have the power to, to, to bring freedom to this individual that was so close to my heart. And not only did I not have the power, but I, I dealt with the power of the fact that his power against me and the abuse that I endured as a result of trying to help this person out of their drug addiction. And then I found myself wounded, hurt, scarred. And then I was struggling with the fact of how am I going to get over this resentment and bitterness and anger? Where am I going to get the power to be able to overcome even this? You see, I need power. I need power right now to heal. I need power right now to forgive. I need power right now to bring freedom to that person that I, in and of myself, and all of my maneuvering, and all of my financing, and all of my time cannot bring to this individual. You see, I need power. I grew up wanting power. I've told my story about how I was little growing up, and I, I had a growth spurt later on. And so I got bullied. I got overlooked. I got disregarded. I got treated as insignificant by my peers, by my coaches. And that patterned something for me as a boy. If I perform, then I'll be loved. And so you know what I did? I looked to the power of performance to give me love. And instead of bringing me freedom, you know what has brought me all these years? Enslavement. Because I can never perform enough. I can never do enough. I can never get far enough to gain the love that my heart hungers for. And it's always contingent. The power of performance failed me. You see, if I get enough followers or likes, then that will be the power that I need to feel good about myself. If I reach this goal, then it will have the power to make me feel like I'm not a failure. 
Maybe you find yourself here, if I can change this about myself or my circumstances, then that will give me the power to feel acceptable. If I live for this person, if I give myself away sexually in this way, then finally that will give me the power to feel and find love. If I can just stay busy, some of y'all right now are just busy. If I can stay intoxicated, some of you guys are intoxicated. If I can just stay angry, then that will give me the power to quiet the noise of all of the ways that I've been abused. If I'm a good person, then my goodness, if I just do enough of it, can assuage the guilt that I know deep down inside I am guilty more than I like to admit. You see, if I can control my children, if I just yell at them a little bit louder, then maybe they'll shut up. If I just try to to maneuver it in such a way and and manipulate it in such a way, then, then maybe, maybe, maybe they'll go to sleep. If I can control that relationship, that marriage, then finally I can find peace. You see, the reason I'm saying all these things is because I need you right now where you're sitting to identify where are you looking for power? Where right now in your life do you need power? What is your 21st century God and goddess that you're looking to? And I want to ask you this question, how is it working out for you? I really want you to consider that. How is it working out for you? This is why we should care about the glory of the resurrection. It was God's loving act to give us what nothing in this world can give. Enough power. Chapter 1, verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. That's the first thing Paul prays for. Second, What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And third, what is the immeasurable greatness, everybody say immeasurable greatness, of his power? Everybody say power. See, this is a prayer of Paul. And Paul prays three things. As the people were tempted to look to the power of other things that were insufficient. The other goddesses that they were looking to in gods for power. And here he tells them, you're wasting your time. And here's why you're wasting your time. Because now that you're in Jesus, you have a power. And he describes that power. And he describes it as immeasurable in greatness. See, the power that he's describing then is a power that's not just great, But it is so great that it is beyond measure. I need you to consider that. I need you to let that weigh. I need you to think about it. It is a power that has a magnitude that is, in the Greek, it almost feels like it's super abundant power. This power is describing what is beyond human comprehension. Because if you can't measure it, then that means you can't what? Comprehend it. And this is how he describes God's power. You see, as S.M. Lockridge preached, when he talked about the power of Christ, no means of measure, he says, can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supply. No barriers can, can hinder him from pouring out his blessings. You see, the power of God can be described as him being enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally grateful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. In Isaiah chapter 46, God says, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I'm so powerful that I declare the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things yet not done i'm so powerful that my counsel will stand and i will accomplish my purposes his power is the kind of power that calls lightning to attention that determines every outcome of every decision he is the i am the god with no flinching red sea splitting i didn't mention he's so powerful he has no nemesis endogenesis limitless no blemishes and this is paul's description 
So let's look again at verse 19 and listen. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? So now not only is his power great in measure to where it is immeasurable, it is also a working power that is great in might. Everybody say great might. Paul uses the same description here for God's power that God uses of his own power in Isaiah in chapter 40 when he says, lift up your eyes high and see who created these, who brings out their host by number. That's, that's galaxies and stars. Calling them by name. Here's the same words in the Septuagint. By the greatness of his might, the same two words, and because he is strong in power, no one is missing. So how does, how does God in Isaiah describe his power? He is so powerful, his great might, that not one galaxy, not one star, not one nebula is missing. That his power is so profound that he holds it all together. Vega, Orion, Pleiades, Sargus, galaxies, nebulas, angular eclipses, asteroids, black holes, all the way down to subatomic particles. This is the measure of his power. And now watch this in verse 19 when he says, working, right, working of his great might, verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he, what's that word, everyone? Oh, boy, I don't think you read that. The galaxy holding, sun stopping, star naming, that calls lightning to attention power with no measure that determines every outcome of every decision. This I am with no flinching to where there's not one star that's missing is the same power that God put on display in the resurrection. You see, the resurrection was about God making available to us the power to live life in the way that each one of us in our hearts desire to live it so we can stop chasing the powers that can't give it to us. You see, I named some of the lesser powers at the beginning of my message. But really, the lesser powers that we all look to are consolidated in three terms. And Paul, after talking about this, goes and says to them in verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in what you once walked, chapter 2. Dead in the trespasses and sins. That's the first thing we look to for power, isn't it? Sin. In which you once walked following the course of this world. We look to the world for power, do we not? Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our what? Flesh. So here he names three things, and I put sin and flesh together. He talks about the flesh, which is our preponderance towards sin, the world, and the devil. You see, these are the three power structures. He names three power structures that before Christ, that's exactly where we found ourselves in. You see, the world tells you, drink this, think this, and do this, and you'll find your heart's desire. The flesh tells you, cheat this, lie about this, and do it your way so you can find the power that you're longing for. And Satan tells you, you're not secure. So why don't you dedicate your life to moth and rust and all of the things in this world. Just pursue all of them and you will find all of the power that you need to find the contentment, joy, peace, rest, and value that your heart is looking for. See, these are power structures. It's no coincidence that Paul talks about the power right above it. And here's the reality. Without a resurrection, 
And if you're not experiencing the resurrection right now, then you are enslaved to these power structures. But once Jesus rose, he declared that my power is greater than every power structure that you're looking for, for your deepest longings. And then after he rose, Jesus did something else that we don't talk much about. So not only did he rise, verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And then what else did he do? Seated. Seated. If y'all are standing up, I tell y'all to do like this, but you're already sitting. So everybody stand up. Come on, stand up. Yeah, get the stretches out. I want you to picture Jesus. All right, I want you to picture Jesus. But then I want you to picture yourself, and this is a little something about later. And I want you to go like this. Seated. Ready? One, two, three. Seated. All right, y'all can sit down now. You see, if the resurrection was a declaration of what? Power. It was a declaration of God's power on display. Then when Jesus was seated, seated is a demonstration of Jesus' authority. You see, after Jesus rose, couldn't you, if you've read the Gospels, didn't he seem to be kind of anxious to move on? He stayed here for how many days? 40 days. But then after 40 days, in John chapter 20, verse 17, Jesus said to to one of the disciples, do not cling, cling to me, for I have not yet ascended. See, we talk about the resurrection, but we don't hear much about the ascension. Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. You see, the ascension was critical. The resurrection comes to life in all of its fullness when Jesus ascends and sits down. And that's exactly how the apostles preached the gospel. Acts chapter 2, verse 32. Peter's preaching. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and have received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured this out that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now see, this is why Paul says in verse 21 of chapter 1 in Ephesians, we'll start at verse 20 so you see the connection, that he worked in Christ when he raised from the dead, seated at his right hand in the heavenly places. Verse 21, this is why he's seated. Because once he's seated, it demonstrates, 21, that he's far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet. You see, the ascension is critical because the very things that you look for and look to as far as power, the power sources that I showed you in chapter 2, the world, the flesh, and the devil— That's the same thing in verse 21, far above all rule, power, authority, and dominion. That's talking about the spiritual evil. And so what that's saying is that Jesus, when he rose up and then he ascended into heaven and he sat down, in that moment, it was a declaration of now I have authority over every single power structure in the world. This is why verse 21 doesn't say he's just above, he's high above. He's high above every philosophy and ideology. So you know what that means? Listen to me. His ideas and not the world's are more powerful. He's high above every sinful act you're swimming in right now, which means his ways are more powerful. 
He's high above every spiritual force. And whether you believe it or not, I'm telling you right now, there is more to this world than meets the eye. There are the invisible forces of evil that are arrayed against you right now. And I'm sure every one of you, every one of you in some way could testify to that reality. But his force is greater. You see, verse 21 is telling us that he is above every name, which means he's above every illness that is in your body right now. You see, cancer may get us on this side of eternity, but it can't touch us on the next because he's risen and seated. And I love it because you know what God does? Every so often, he breaks into the here and now to just remind us and show us his authority. I think about Samuel. For those of you who may not know, Andrew and Grace, their son Samuel, came out of the womb, lungs bleeding, to a degree and a point where they thought they would lose him. And he has been in intensive care, critical condition for weeks. And it was so good to see Andrew on Good Friday as he came. And just to hear how he said to us, as our elder newly preached the Good Friday message, that John chapter 11 was what sustained them during that time. And what is John chapter 11 a demonstration of? Jesus is what? Power. His power over death. That baby Samuel should not be here right now. But see, I love it when God just says, I still have authority and I need to remind you of this. And he stepped right in and Samuel is still with us to this day. Amen. I think about one of our members, Eunice. And Andrew, we got a lot of Andrews up in here. And they were ready to give birth, and the baby was facing up. And so they were going to have to have a C-section. And so uh, they came, and they asked for prayer. And so we laid our hands on them, and we prayed. And I remember going up to, to Eunice's stomach and just laying, going real close and just saying, Hey, baby girl, her name is Florence. Hey, baby girl, you got to flip. You got to turn so she can give birth naturally. And I just said, Lord Jesus, will you please do a miracle? Well, they showed up to the doctor's office on Tuesday. And guess what? Baby girl had flipped. She got a a new nickname. We were were joking with each other. Her Her new nickname is Flipper. So... And then as Pastor James just shared the building, the building, we had cash offers on that thing, cash offers. And God just likes to peek in every so often to remind us, I am the name above every name. I am the authority. Cash is not king, I am. That's my building. I give it to whom I please. So all the rest of y'all, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, deuces. I'm God. You see, the reason why that's a reality is because not just because he's risen, it's because he's risen and seated. All authority, high above. It's all mine. I do what I please with it. And here's what's stunning. This power that I'm describing to you. And this authority, verse 19 says, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us? That that should be messing you all up right now. You should be just falling out right now. People should be doing laps around this church right now. No, 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 no. Did you hear what I just said? The reason I took so much time to describe the power is to help you see 
the fact that you're telling me that power over here is toward me. Nobody's doing Jesus. Nobody's doing laps. I'm waiting. It's toward us. And then Paul gets even more specific if you really didn't get it in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 5 when he says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, when you didn't deserve it, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. And look at the same language, raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you understand what they're singing? Jesus right now is in the heavens. Which means he is in a position, in a place where he is experiencing all of what it means to be in perfection. So to be raised up means that in Jesus Christ you have available to you the ability to live some of the life of heaven down here on earth. The life of heaven is all that it means now for Christ, who is in heaven, to be with you and show you how to live life from up there down here. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 2, if then you have been raised with Christ, okay, watch, raised with Christ, you're raised, you're up there. Right now, if you're in Jesus, you are in the heavens in some way. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Then what Paul does is he describes the raised up life. And what is the raised up life? In verse 12 of chapter 3, when you read it, you can see it. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, these things put in love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let me ask you this question. What I just described, you know what that is? That's heaven. What if your life right now looked like that description in verses 12 through 15? What would it be? You see, that's a picture of the raised up life. I've told this analogy before, but I remember, or this illustration before, I remember years ago, a man walked out of CVS and I, was, and I approached him uh, we were doing some little evangelism stuff, and I was talking to him. And I said, hey, I just want to ask you a question. Um, what would your life be like right now if you just weren't in bondage to anger? And kid you not, he looked at me. He was like, I don't know where you got that from, but just now I got fired from my job because I got angry at my boss. I was like, oh, yeah, you, you about to get Jesus right here. I said, well, can you tell me this? What if everybody in Long Beach was not riddled with anger, bitterness, and resentment? What would Long Beach, the city, be like? You know what he said? Heaven. He said that to me. He's like, that would be like heaven. You see, Jesus right now is not bound by anger in the heavens, is he? Where he's seated, not whatsoever. But yet, what he's inviting us into in him is that we can begin to taste, experience, and live out that type of heavenly life. I want to ask you, if your life was Colossians 3, 12 through 15, full of meekness, patience, humility, forgiveness, love, harmony, and peace, tell me what your life would be like right now. That's what Paul was saying in verse 1. If then you are raised up with Christ, seek the things that are above. Or what about being seated? 
Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 through 6. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Are some of you struggling with contentment right now? Or, 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 I'm just asking, or is it just me? Thank you. We got one person up in here that's being honest. Y'all got to, come on, man. I, I know it gets hard. Y'all got to talk to me. Y'all got to do something. Don't forget your pastor's black. Let's go. <laughs> I will never, what did he say? I will never leave you nor forsake you so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? That is a power structure. He's saying, stop looking at the power structure that determines things down here for your help and your contentment. No, 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 no. I have all authority. The one who has all authority will never leave you or forsake you. You can exhale now. You can be content. Is everybody good now? The one who has dominated every power structure that you are looking to and longing for to gain health, wealth, peace, contentment, joy, satisfaction, meaning, a purpose, every single one of those things cannot pale to the one who will say to you, I will never leave you or forsake you. So you can say to all that empower structures, deuces, because what can man do to me? You see, Jesus has the power to teach you how to live life in the heavens because he rose and is seated. You see, if Jesus didn't rise and he's not seated, then you still have to eat from the power structures in this world because that's all you got. If Jesus, it, well, what Paul is telling you is that if you are raised up with Christ, then right now, right now, the power of sin does not have to dominate your life. Are you hearing me? You don't have to right now live in resentment. You see, the raised up life means that you don't have to manipulate people to get the desires that you want. You see, if you're raised up right now in the heavens, then you can be full of, un of, forgive of forgiveness. You don't have to be characterized by impatience. You don't have to walk around with a mean spirit. Listen, to be raised up means that in this moment, you don't have to look to the power of sex, alcohol, or drugs to quiet the noise. If you're raised up with Christ, you don't have to look down on others to make yourself feel good about yourself. If you're raised up with Christ, you don't have to posture and present a false self to uphold your reputation because your reputation is in him and his reputation is in the heavens. And so that's where your reputation is too. No matter what people have to say, think, or feel about you, period. You see, that's living in the heavens. That's allowing for what it is up here to define what it is down here, which means you don't have to wallow in self-pity and guilt because you're not measuring up because there is no condemnation for those who are where? In what? Christ Jesus. You see, if you're seated with him, then you don't have to worry about your provisions. That's why God says things like, he will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ. In Christ, in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ Jesus, then you got all your soul need. And because you have a God who supplies all your needs, you have a God who will never leave you or forsake you so you can leave that toxic relationship. You see, when the bottom drops out because you're seated, you can be sure that even where you are right now, God is not withholding any good thing from you. If you're raised, then that means you are loved. And his mercies are always chasing you down, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. You know what that means? I don't need more followers or likes to feel good about myself. I don't need to reach this goal 
to make me feel like I'm not a failure. I I don't need to change this or that about me to feel loved and accepted. You see, if he's seated and and he's in the heavens and, and you're with him, then you don't need control to have peace. You don't need to stay busy, intoxicated, and angry to quiet the noise. You don't need to yell and scream at the kids. He can actually teach you how to be in a storm and be at the bottom of the boat at rest. And so you can say, I don't need. I don't need, 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 I don't need because I already have because he is risen and I am in the heavens with him. Because his supply is greater. His provision is higher. His declaration is louder. His protection is stronger. His mercies are newer. And his power is without measure toward me in Jesus. And so I end with this question. How do you get a hold of this power? Or how do you get a hold of more of it? For those of you here who believe in Jesus Christ, who have committed yourself to him as Lord, Savior, and Treasure, This is something very insightful for me in the text. If there's an area in your life right now where you want to experience more power, more resurrection power, then pray. Don't pray just for yourselves, but let's start praying for one another. I want to give a challenge to those of you, and and I would ask and hope that everybody who's here would come back again next week, and the next week, and the next week, and the next week. But this is what I would encourage you. Find a few brothers and sisters to intercede for you and you intercede for them and pray Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19 prayer. Because you know what Paul is doing here? He's praying for the Ephesians. He wants them to experience more of the vastness of God's power. And so how does he go about doing it? He prays for them. I can guarantee you If you do what I just said, you get a group of brothers and sisters and say, look, y'all, for the next month, let's commit to pray for one another every single day that we would come to know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come and he put all things under his feet and he gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all if you pray that prayer I can guarantee you after 30 days you're going to see some power Secondarily, if you want to experience this resurrection power that's described here by Paul, he says in verse 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who what? This power is not for everyone. I need you to hear that. The power that I just got done describing is not for everyone. It's for those who believe. You see, every single one of us under the sound of my voice, you know what we all want? We want a resurrection. We know the life that we're living outside of Jesus is not the life that we were designed to live. That's why we're looking to other power sources. Because we're trying to fix things in us that we know are broken and they shouldn't be that way. And you know what that's supposed to do? It's supposed to point you to the source where you can't get it from. And you may be here today, you may find it hard to believe in this resurrection stuff. But I know deep down inside, even if you're having a hard time, you want to believe that it's true because you want to experience that kind of resurrection too. And so listen, this is the essence of true Christianity. 
You got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. You see, if you want to live, you got to die. If you want to be raised up, you got to be brought low. You got to come to Jesus on his terms. His terms. Not your own. And allow him to determine what it looks like to lead you into the green pastures of resurrection power. And if you submit yourself to Jesus as your Lord, your Savior, and your treasure, you will find all the power that your heart is longing for beyond measure. So if you don't know Jesus today, I invite you, come. Admit that you're a sinner, that you have rejected God in your heart, and as a result, his wrath is on you. And you deserve death, punishment in hell. And then believe. Believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's Savior. And come to him as your treasure. And you will find the release and the freedom, the resurrection raised up power that is guaranteed to every single one of us who are in Christ Jesus right now. So church, that's why we celebrate. That's why it matters. Because the glory of the one who is risen matters. And the glory of the one who is risen has shown his glory on us in Christ Jesus so that we can actually live out the power of the freedom that our hearts are longing for. And we don't need the world no more. We don't need their approval, their acceptance, their provision, their supply. We don't need any of it. We got it all in Jesus. And one day, you know what the power, what what the resurrection guarantees? He's coming back. read Revelation chapter 21 and you know what it says when he comes back the one who's what I was going to read it to y'all but I got to stop read Revelation chapter 21 it says he's seated the one on the throne is seated and he comes and he's going to wipe away every tear every tear every pain every hardship Because he's seated, and he's the only one that can do that in you and in me. And so it's coming. And so that's why we celebrate. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. God, please, I just pray that you grant each individual under the sound of my voice eyes to see and ears to hear the wonder and the beauty of your resurrection life. And for those, God, who are longing to walk into it, God, I pray, will you grant them the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you, having the eyes of their hearts enlightened, that they may know what is the hope to which you've called them, what are the immeasurable riches of your grace in them, and what is the immeasurable greatness of your riches in Christ Jesus toward them. And that, God, they would know, Lord God, the immeasurable greatness of your power in Christ Jesus. So God, will you grant that I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Could you stand with me?